You might not know this about me, but I do not like to wait. I don't like lines. I don't like traffic. If I see traffic, uh, I'm immediately trying to uh, find out if there's alternate routes on my uh, on my, my phone, or get Lindsay to look for them if I'm uh, if I'm driving. If we're having to stand in line, I'm always looking: is there a shortcut around this line? Is there some reason why everybody's standing here? Surely there's got to be an easier way to get to the front. It's one thing to wait when, uh, when there's air conditioning and it's not, not that difficult, but when you, when you add suffering and difficulty and hardship into the midst of waiting, I definitely want to find a shortcut. How can I get out of this and bring an end to it quicker? I don't think I'm alone. I think just as a, a culture in general, we don't like to wait we like everything to come quickly. Microwave, instant pots, uh, instant information, instant gratification. Think about how important quick shipping is to us now. It used to be that, that just if shipping was free, it was okay. But now it's got to come in two days. And although they advertise two days, in Elizabeth City, two days means three or four. And I don't like that. Especially when I went to Charlotte and was with my parents before they were moving up here and I ordered something. It came the very same day. I ordered it at 8 o'clock in the morning. And by 10, a lady pulls up into their driveway in her car, hops out with our packages. What does that do? Well, I celebrate that, but then it makes me wonder, why in the world do I have to wait so long in Elizabeth City? We want things to come quickly. We want to find shortcuts. And as we've seen in our our journey through the book of 1 Samuel, God has promised that His kingdom is coming and that His king, the king that He has chosen, will sit on the throne But man, has it taken forever for David to get on the throne. And so we wait, and we wait, and we wait. Is there a shortcut? Is there an easier path to the kingdom and to the throne? As we look in 1 Samuel chapter 24 this morning, hopefully this chapter will give us more perspective on our hearts, on God's purposes, and on this question, is there a shortcut to the kingdom and to its coming? If you would, look with me in your copy there of, uh, of God's Word. We're in chapter 24 of 1 Samuel. If you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 246. We're going to go through the whole, uh, the whole chapter uh, this morning. Uh, remember, uh, we're in the, the middle of, of Saul uh, is pursuing David, trying to bring an end to his life, an end to his kingdom so that Saul's name would be established and David and his men are on the run. So pick up there in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 24. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. 
Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which Yahweh said to you, Behold, I'll give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David rose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, Yahweh forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, Yahweh's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is Yahweh's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord, the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how Yahweh gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is Yahweh's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand? For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May Yahweh judge between me and you. May Yahweh avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes wickedness. But my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May Yahweh therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, and that you did not kill me when Yahweh put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may Yahweh reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now... Behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by Yahweh, that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for uh, the, the sure and true word that you've given us. Uh, we thank you that uh, as Jesus prayed that you would sanctify your people with the truth, uh, we thank you that you continue to do that and ask that you would answer that prayer and do that this morning. Sanctify us, the people of God, with your word. In Christ's name, amen. So kids, if you want to keep track of, uh, of three, three words today, or adults, whoever finds this helpful, listen for, th- for three. You can keep, keep count of them. So shortcut, authority, 
and trust. Shortcut, authority, and trust. You can bring me your, your tally uh, afterwards. So, uh, is, is it possible for there to be a shortcut to the kingdom and seeing it coming? Uh, that, that seems to be on the, the minds and hearts of, of the folks at the beginning of this, of this chapter. Think how, how long they've been on the run. How long Saul has been pursuing David, refusing to acknowledge that David is the king of God's own choosing. And persecution is coming, and they're having to wait and wait and wait. And then all of a sudden, Saul is caught. He's in this cave, and he's literally caught with his pants down. That's what it, it means when it says that he was going in there to relieve himself. In the, the Hebrew, it uses a language that's described as he was covering his feet. He was going to the bathroom. Nobody went in there with him for this. But who happened to be in the back of the cave but David and his men? Of all the caves he could choose to go in and do his business... It's the one that David and his army are hiding in as they're fleeing from Saul. And notice what David's men are thinking. The shortcut. This is what we've been waiting for. This is the shortcut path to the kingdom. David, right now, you can bring an end to the waiting. You can bring an end to the suffering. You can take out Saul. Not only will you end our difficulty and our hardship, but your kingdom can be established now. There's no need to go through this suffering and this hardship. Take him out. Look at what they say. David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave in in verse 4. And the men said to him, Here is the day of which Yahweh said to you, Behold, I'll give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. We'll look later and see if that's actually something that God did say, or if they're just making it up. But notice, at, at first it seems that in David's heart, he's also longing for a shortcut to the kingdom. Because what does he do? At this insistence from his men, it says, David... Uh, arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now remember in the book so far, the the issue of robes and clothing have come up multiple times. Remember one of the things that happened when Samuel was leaving Saul and had told him God had rejected him as being king, Saul grabbed Samuel's robe and it tore and as a, a symbol of the tearing of the kingdom from him, because you've done this, the kingdom will be torn from you. Remember, Jonathan's response was to give up his, his clothing, his, uh, his gear, his robe, and hand it over to David as a, as a symbol of saying, I am not holding on to the kingdom, but I'm going to give my allegiance to you. And what do we see here? David cutting the robe, cutting off a corner. This is if David is beginning to think, maybe there's a way for me to grab symbolically a piece of the kingdom now. To not have to wait. Notice that that seems to be what what is on David's heart as he realizes this isn't what I should do. Notice what it says just after that. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. David realizes the shortcut path is not the one for me. 
The shortcut to the kingdom is not what God has for His chosen king. He responds and realizes, my heart was going the wrong way and I shouldn't have done this. And then notice what He tells His his men. Yahweh forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, Yahweh's anointed, to put out my hand against Him, seeing He is Yahweh's anointed. So David persuaded his men. The the language that's used there is, is not just persuade, but he intensely, it's almost like David has to fight them off because of how much they want to destroy Saul and move forward with this shortcut. And David says, no. There is no shortcut path to the kingdom. And so David prevents his men from attacking. This isn't something that's uh, new for God's king. We see this come up, not just as we've seen the, the path to the kingdom as one marked with suffering and rejection, but also one where there's voices around the king screaming and saying and longing for a shortcut to the kingdom. Remember, Jesus, after he was baptized, went out into the wilderness and there he was tested by Satan as Satan sought to tempt Jesus. One of the things that he sought to tempt Jesus with was this offer and this idea that there's a shortcut to the kingdom, a shortcut to glory. And one of the things that Satan says to Jesus is he takes him up on this high mountain and he overlooks the kingdoms of the world and he says, if you'll bow down and worship me, all of this kingdom and the glory and the honor will be yours. And Jesus says, no, get away. There is no shortcut to the path. And he puts off this offer of a shortcut to bypass the suffering that would come before the glory. It's not just Satan, but remember later, uh, as Jesus is talking with his disciples, one of the things that come up over and over is he's communicating to them, he is the Christ, the chosen one, the anointed one of God, but the path to the kingdom is going to be one of suffering, of rejection, and of death before resurrection. And what does Peter say? No! No, enough of this suffering stuff. Let's go straight to the glory. And he rebukes Jesus. There's got to be a way of a shortcut, Jesus, to bypass this suffering and death. What kind of talk is it? And what does Jesus say? No. He rebukes Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You have your mind on the things of man, not the things of God. Because in God's understanding, in the way that he's bringing out his kingdom, there is no shortcut I'm not going to embrace this path. The Scriptures must be fulfilled. Jesus will not take a shortcut. He's fulfilling the purposes of His Heavenly Father to suffer, to die, to redeem His people. Can you think about what the results would have been if Jesus had taken the shortcut? No suffering? No hardship? No no death? Where would our redemption be? We just affirmed our faith this morning how necessary it was that our mediator would be a man. That God would take on flesh. Why? Because the path to the, the kingdom 
and God's people being brought in the kingdom was one that would have to go through the suffering, the rejection, and the death of the king. With a shortcut comes no redemption. But because Jesus says, I'm casting off the shortcuts. I'm not going that path. Just as David said, no, I'm not going that path. I'm following the way that God has called me to suffer before there comes glory resulted in our redemption. There is no shortcut to the kingdom. Jesus says, I'm going the path marked for me because I'm coming and I have come to redeem you. If if this is true, if there are no shortcuts to the kingdom, then it's the people of God who many times desire and, and long for and hope for a shortcut. We need to listen to our king. Respect his authority. Notice in this passage the importance of recognizing the authority of the king. First, we see it in in David. Notice in verse 5. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, Yahweh forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord. Yahweh's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing that he is Yahweh's anointed. I don't know if you picked it up as we read through, but David referring and constantly going back and describing Saul as being Yahweh's anointed, and because that is who Saul is, he's not going to raise his hand against him. David is doing what the king of Israel was supposed to do and recognize where the authority lies. Who is the true king in Israel? It's not the man on the throne. It's God. And David here, as the king, who is to be the the ideal and model Israelite, who's showing what it looks like to hope and trust and rest in God, says, uh, I am not lifting my hand against God's anointed. God has placed Saul here, and it's not for me to make a grab for the kingdom when I am not authorized to do so. That's one of the ways that we see that going back to what David's men were saying is, isn't this what God said? There's no evidence in Scripture that God ever gave this promise to David. And when David sought in that moment, when Saul was in his hand, uh, to even just cut off the corner of, of Saul's robe, his heart was grabbed and recognizing, no, God has placed Saul here And God will take him out of the kingship when God is ready to do it. In fact, he reiterates that over and over and over again, that he is resting and depending on God. Uh, But uh, notice, even uh, as well, this uh, idea, not just that David is recognized the authority of his king, but the men must recognize the authority of their king as well. You see that in verse 7. After David reiterates and talks about this is God's anointed, I have not been given the authority to take him out. We will wait. So in verse 7, David persuades his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And they listen. For Saul rose up and left the cave. 
and went on his way. It's important for these men, these subjects of the king, to listen to the words of their king, to recognize the authority of their king. And when he says we are not taking a shortcut, just as he is recognizing the authority of his king, they must listen to the persuasive words of their king and avoid taking a shortcut to the kingdom. Neither David nor the men are going to seek harm of Saul because God's put him there and it's not David's place to remove him. He's not been authorized to do so. Sometimes on our way to visit Lindsay's parents, we have to go down 95. We always have to go down 95. There's a lot of times traffic on 95, but usually there's a lot of exits, shortcuts, ways to get off and around traffic and wrecks and backups. But not when you get off of 95 on the 26. On 26, there's this one long stretch of road without any exits. And if you happen to not be able to see the traffic coming up and you get past that last exit, all bets are off. But one day we were coming down and I missed the last exit and then all of a sudden there's traffic. We're stuck. And I'm like, oh man, is there a shortcut anywhere? And up ahead I see a little path through the gigantic median on 26. A shortcut road. I can get out of this traffic, go back up to the exit we missed and be sailing on these back, back roads and get to Lindsay's parents' house without having to sit on this traffic. But I get up there. There's a sign at this shortcut path, and it says, for authorized vehicles only. I'm not authorized to take this shortcut. I may want to take the shortcut. I may think that, that my life will be better, but I have not been permitted to take this shortcut. And I would be wise to listen and respond appropriately and only do what I have been authorized to do. Here, David has not been authorized to take Saul out. David's men have not been authorized to take Saul out. What they've been authorized to do is to wait and to move forward and respond in patience. What about you and, and me? What, if, what are the, the words that our king is speaking to us? How is he seeking to persuade us in the midst of our longings and our desires to find the shortcut, to avoid the suffering, the difficulty, the pain? Look in Matthew chapter 5. Listen to what our king says to us. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Hear, hear. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? 
Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Do not respond to your enemies, our King says, with violence, with retaliation, with reaction. Don't respond to evil with evil, but love. What? Hating those who hate you makes sense. Loving those who love you makes sense. But our king is saying the path to the kingdom will be marked with enmity. Remember from the beginning, as God is outlining from Genesis 15, the seed of Satan will be against the seed of the woman and there will be enmity until the restoration of all things come. You will find enemies and those who are opposed to the kingdom. And Jesus says, but I want you to love them. Online? I'm supposed to love these people who type the most cruel and vile things about me and my God and my faith and my hope in Him. I can really I can do that to them. I can stick it to them, Jesus, for your kingdom. Isn't this what you want? No. I want you to love. I want you to show compassion. What about on the soccer field, Jesus? I'm out there trying to honor you. I'm seeking to do things the Christian way. We've been losing. It's these kids out here are constantly taking the Lord's name in vain and cheating. They're the ones who's winning. A good slab tackle and a right place missed kick. Jesus, don't you understand? This strategy is so much more efficient than yours. No. I want you to love. I want you to serve. What about that neighbor? Jesus, do you know who lives next to me? Do you know what they, they say? What they do? The kind of music that they play that we hear when we're in our backyard. Don't you think? Loud music placed and focused back at their house? Or me cranking up my loud lawnmower at four in the morning just to give them a taste of what is going on would be the way forward? I, wanna, I don't want to go through this suffering. I want to bring the kingdom quickly and get these enemies out of the way. And Jesus says, no. I have not given you the authority to do this. The authority I've been given, Jesus says in John, is that to lay down my life and raise it up again. Jesus says, the authority that I'm giving you right now is to be like your heavenly Father. He loved His enemies. If He didn't love His enemies, you would not be one of His children. And what I'm calling you to do is love your enemies. David is seeking to do this to Saul and it makes no sense at all to his men. They listen to his authority. We, as the people of God, are we hearing our king persuade us to show love? Well, if I'm not going to take care of my enemies, who's going to do it? To submit to the authority of Jesus is 
means they could go unchallenged. That means to trust, to, to follow his authority means we must trust him. To respond to the authority of the king means there must be great trust in the king if there's no shortcut to the kingdom. And notice we see David doing the same thing. Look back over in chapter 24. What does he say? As he calls out and, and lets Saul know, look, I haven't harmed you. I haven't sinned against you. I've not hurt you. I could have killed you. People were persuading me to kill you, and I said no. Notice what he goes on to say in verse 10. Some told me to kill you. I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is Yahweh's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there's no wrong or treason in my hand. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. Now listen to David's trust. May Yahweh judge between me and you. May Yahweh avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes wickedness. But my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May Yahweh therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. David here is saying, the reason I'm not moving forward to take Saul out now is because I'm trusting in God. I'm trusting that he is a good judge. I'm trusting that he is, who always does what is right, that he will defend and protect, plead the case of his people, and deliver me. I am resting and hoping and trusting in Him. What about, what about you and me? Do we think that God is competent to fight for us? To defend us? To bring about vindication for us as His people? Or do we question that He really cares about what we're going through? Do we really think that, that our strategies would actually work out better in the end? Who knows whether they'll work out better for God's kingdom or not. I know they'll work out better for me because I can shut this guy's mouth right now. No. Trust in me, God says. Trust in me to be your vindicator. Know that in these moments... Where people are lashing out against you as one of the people of God, and you wonder, will justice ever come? Will what is right ever prevail? Will their mouths ever be silenced? God, will you indeed vindicate me and plead my cause and the cause of your king and his kingdom? God says yes. For through your acts of love, just as Saul says to David, I gave you evil and evil, but you repaid me for good. It will be that 
if your enemies repent in response to your love and your grace to them as you reflect your Heavenly Father, that vindication will happen. And that wrong will be satisfied. And that punishment and that wrath will be poured out. How? Because just like your sin, where did, how is God's wrath satisfied against you? It's poured out on Jesus. That wrong will be dealt with as they hope and rest and trust in Christ. But if they don't, if they continue to reject Him, then they will face the wrath of God without any mediator. And all wrongs will be made right. That's what the the death of Christ shows us, how seriously God takes the sin and rebellion of His creatures. That it necessitated His own death to deal with our sin and our rebellion. It is going to be hard to face enemies and love them The only way that's possible, if we trust the one who loves his enemies, which you and I were, and now we stand the sons and daughters of our gracious King. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't take a shortcut? Aren't you glad that you have the privilege of resembling your Father by loving your enemies as you await the coming of of the kingdom. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that you did not take a shortcut. You went the long way around through the cross. We thank you that redemption is ours. Would you give us the grace to love those who hate us We pray that you would bring many more enemies to be your brothers and your sisters. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.